0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 37, The Best Part of the Trip. Today's proverb comes from Dante. I'll read it twice. If the will won't will... Nothing can force it. Once more. If the will won't will, nothing can force it. Years ago, I taught at a school that sent juniors and seniors on trips to New York and Washington, D.C. on alternate years. So one year, both classes would go to D.C. The next year, they would go to New York. And the trip to New York was a great trip to New York. We went and saw the Metropolitan, the Cloisters. We ate some good food. We took in a show. It was spectacular. Saw the Frick, the Morgan. And in the weeks that led up to the trip, actually, I'd say the months that led up to the trip, I would prepare juniors and seniors to see all of the art at the Met and the Frick. Well, not all the art. I would show them significant pieces from the Met. And I gave students an overview of art history, at least since the Renaissance. I showed them... uh, significant pieces that would be at the Met. and So we looked at these lousy digital reproductions of these paintings, and then we would go see them for real, where they could actually reach out and touch the paintings if they were willing to get kicked out of the museum. And it was a remarkable experience to learn to appreciate a piece of art digitally and then see it live and in person. So I gave these art history lectures for weeks. As I recall, the trip was often in April. I'd begin art history lectures, and I'd give them once a week on Fridays. So this is years ago. Different school. And on a certain occasion, there was an informational meeting... About the trip to New York, and this is probably in February, let's say. We have an informational meeting. I think it was in the evening. All the students came who were going on the trip, all their parents. It was a packed room. And a number of things about the trip in terms of travel, logistics, rules, packing list, etc. was all laid out. And I was not the one spearheading the trip. I was not the one who was making the purchases on the tickets, but I was kind of a a reluctant docent who would walk around with students and point things out about the paintings. Anybody who wanted to walk around with me could. Anyway, we had this informational meeting, and the informational meeting was in the evening, and every one of the chaperones who's going on the trip shows up. And, you know, we lay out for all of the families What the trip's going to look like. And at the end of the meeting, this student comes up to me. And I'm going to change the name of this student. I'm going to call this student Rusty. Not his real name. But I'm going to call him Rusty. Rusty comes up to me after the informational meeting, and he says, Mr. Gibbs, I have checked, and the hotel where we're staying in New York is only a few blocks away from Donut Plant. Do you think we can go to Donut Plant while we're in New York? Rusty was an interesting student. I liked Rusty. I mean, I still... We didn't have a, a falling out. Rusty was also a bit of a difficult student. Rusty was a student... I think he was the only student at the school who kind of openly, brazenly, unapologetically listened to rap music. I think some other students probably did. But only Rusty put it on the line. Rusty... Also had the stuff of a of a champion eater. He was not overweight. He was a he was a fit dude, um, capable of uh, pulling his weight on any athletic squad. But my goodness, this kid could eat, and it was a bit of a joke that he would he would play it up as a bit of a joke. But he ate a ridiculous amount. Or sometimes I recall him coming to school and eating a loaf of bread for lunch. Like a whole loaf of bread. like Two and a half pounds of white bread for lunch. And he would kind of make a joke of it. Uh, Rusty was a bit of a cut-up, but he was genuinely funny, which is almost always the case. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. With a class cut-up, he can normally make you laugh. Um, He was not some unaccomplished joker. He um, (laughs) He did make me laugh on many occasions because he tried. But when he comes up to me after this informational meeting and he says, Mr. Gibbs, we're going to be a couple blocks from Donut Plant, can we go? First of all, when I hear the word Donut Plant as the name of a restaurant, I'm imagining something kind of like the hostess company would produce. And Rusty says, no, I've seen it on the Food Network, Mr. Gibbs. It looks amazing. Can we go? Now, because Rusty was a bit of a joker, he clocked my response to his question for what it was. I said, well, I don't know, Rusty. We're going to have to see. And Rusty was... Nonplus. He was like, no. Can we try? Tell me we'll try to go to Donut Plant. I said I mean I'm not in charge of the schedule. Rusty said, I know. But you're a chaperone. You've got some say in these things, right? (laughs) I could not lie. Yes. That's true, I suppose. I was like, Mr. Gibbs, it's only a few blocks away. Can we go to Donut Plant, please? I said, maybe. And he said, tell me you'll try. I said, okay, I'll try. We'll try. I'm not going to tell you yes, but we'll try. And he says, do you promise? I said, yes, okay. I promise we will try to go to Donut Point. And at this point, I think we're still, I mean, at least a month away from this trip. At least a month. When I say, okay, I promise we'll try. And this, it seems to me that Rusty takes this, takes these words more deeply to heart than he really ought to. Because His eyes look reassured. His whole mien seems reassured. It's like, okay, all right. He's satisfied by this. And if I was him, I wouldn't be satisfied with, I promise we'll try. But he lets it go then and there. Now, so at this point, we are months into our preparation for this trip. I've been leading all of these art history lectures, quizzing and testing students over their ability to identify various paintings, asking them to interpret paintings. Is this neoclassical or is this romantic? And I'm trying to get everyone excited for this trip. And I I tell everyone, we're going to the Manhattan, the Metropolitan, and we're going to see some of the most famous artwork there is. I mean, we're going to see the artwork which has, to some extent, shaped the Western spirit, defined for us what tragedy is, defined for us what love is, like art. Does that art has the power to define and shape what we think the great experiences of life are? And after you see El Greco's Christ carrying the cross, you think of the crucifixion differently. I tell all my students, look, I mean, seeing a Caravaggio is a bigger deal than seeing you two. Caravaggio has lasted way longer than you two. People aren't going to be ta- listening to you too 50 years from now. Unless someone burns all of them up. Caravaggio is still going to be around 100 years from now, 200 years from now. So when you see these paintings, you're seeing the past and the future. They have lasted a long time. They will last a good while longer. Some of these paintings might last indefinitely. That's how much we love them. We steward them and take care of them. And when you see them, you become part of this corporate stewardship of these paintings. Your patronage, your attendance at the museum allows people in the future to see these paintings. You're doing important work. If nobody went to museums for a year, museums would all close. Museums last have lasted to today because people went to them 10 years ago. If people just stopped going, they wouldn't be around. So if you want your children to be able to go to a museum, you've got to go to a museum. So i impress upon them, the moral nature of their work. Of course, it's pleasant to go to a museum, but it's also... Going to a museum is a part of a, a long game. It's part of a cultural long game. It ultimately benefits your kids. You're the beneficiaries of other people's attendance at the museum. Anyway, so I'm saying all of these things to the students. And so when Rusty comes up to me and his first question is, can we go to Donut Plant? I mean, I'm a little nonplussed. We'd already done significant work. The weeks carry on pressing closer to the date that we go to New York. And in the weeks that lead up to New York, Rusty is coming up to me from time to time saying, you promised Mr. Good. he would just walk up to me and say that, you promised, we'd try. And when he comes up and says this, I kind of blow it off, yes, promise we try. I have so many things that I care about so much more than this. And it's really nothing more than a blip in the back of my mind. So the day comes, we go to New York. Now, the trip to New York is four nights long, I think. This is almost a decade ago. I think it's four nights long. Five days and four nights. And a good bit of the schedule while we're in New York is already determined. And this schedule is handed out to the students. Now, what Rusty notices is that with one exception... Breakfast in the morning is actually up to the students. So, so far as the planning of the trip goes, there's several mornings in which Donut Plant is a genuine possibility. So we're in the airport, we're going to New York, and Rusty comes up to me again. And says, you promised we'd try Donut Plant. It's going to be great, Mr. Gibbs. You're going to love it. I think this was maybe only the second time I'd gone to New York. And I was a chaperone. Apparently I had work to do, but I was honestly more excited for the things that I was interested in. I wanted to see certain paintings that kind of lined out for myself. Yes, Rusty, donut plant, fine. And I think that it was at that point that Rusty said, Mr. Gibbs, it's so great. They have a peanut butter and jelly donut. Looks amazing. Now, this sounds disgusting. (laughs) Peanut butter and jelly donut. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of a peanut butter and jelly donut is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich fried like a donut, which just seems disgusting. But given that this recommendation is coming from a young man who sometimes eats an entire loaf of French bread for lunch, I'm not particularly surprised that he would be excited about something like a peanut butter and jelly donut. I'm imagining like Jif, Smucker's Grape, folded over Wonder Bread, maybe stamped with a circle. Ugh, gross. Make it to New York make it to New York, and we only have a few hours in the first day. Head to the hotel. That night, Rusty comes up to me, and he says, Look, I know breakfast tomorrow is already scheduled, so I know it can't happen tomorrow. Just saying. You promised. I know it can't work out tomorrow. But you promised. (laughs) I said, Yes, I promised. So we go out, and we go to the Frick and the Morgan. And this is the second day. Technically, this is the second day of the trip. And we're in, we're in the Frick, I believe. And the Frick, at the time that we were there, had half a dozen El Greco paintings. And there was some beautiful American paintings. And so, you know, all the students go in, they all spread out. And I'm standing in front of some, it might have been like a portrait of John the Baptist or oh, one of one of El Greco's scenes from the Iliad. And Rusty comes up to me again. And he brings up Donut Plant again. He says, you, you said we promised. I know I did. It's true. We are in a museum surrounded by beautiful art. I don't want you to lose sight of the reason why we're on this trip. And here's finally where I'm beginning to get a little, I'm beginning to lose my temper at this point. Maybe this is a little speech I should have given long before, but I'm like, look, we're here. We made it. You got your promise. Look at the art in this room. Don't spend the whole time worrying about Donuts, for crying out loud. You're surrounded by beautiful. Are you enjoying this? Rusty's like, yeah, it's great. Love it. As only a teenage boy can say such things. And he's like, I just want to check that we're going to try. And I said, yes, we're going to try. And that's the point in the trip. Right after I deliver my little speech when Rusty says, you wait and see, Mr. Gibbs. It's going to be the best part of the trip. Now, when Rusty says this, I immediately, in my heart, but not openly, I turn on him. And I regret my promise. I don't renounce my promise, but I regret it. And up until this point, it was more of an annoyance that I was simply going to have to go along with. But from the moment that he said, it's going to be the best part of the trip. As much as I liked this kid, I started rooting against him. And I said to myself, "Man, I hope." I said to myself, "I hope something goes wrong." I hope we don't get to see that. This. this is absurd. Like, stop pestering me with this. First day ends. Second day. Second morning, rather. Rusty says. Can we go second morning? I gave him some really thin excuse on the second morning. I was like, uh, eh, I'm really tired after this first day. We're back at the hotel, about to go to sleep. He's like, can we go tomorrow? I'm like, man, I'm really tired. I really don't want to get up tomorrow. <laughs> because getting up to go to Donut Plant would mean like waking up at 6 o'clock, taking a shower, being ready to leave at 7. And when you take a class of high schoolers to New York, I mean, you're walking Everywhere we walked like ten miles a day, and my feet were killing me. This is true. If you've ever taken a class to New York, you do all the walking around. Like by the end of the second day, your feet are <laughs> swollen, bleeding. So at the end of that day, I'm like, I can't do it tomorrow, man. I'm so wiped out. I can't get up. And Rusty understands. But he's starting to get a little nervous. So next day goes off without a hitch in terms of the museums that we go to. Rusty more or less leaves me alone for a while. He can see that I'm in a position of power here and I can call this all off. And he can tell that he's annoyed me with all of these requests. It's like that day, this is the third day in the city, it basically leaves me alone. And... I mean, he was a young man, far more energetic, far more healthy than I am. And by the end of the next day, Rusty is so tired that when we get back to the hotel, he comes up to me. And he's just absolutely exhausted. And he's like, oh, Mr. James." Now I think, maybe I can't get up tomorrow. And when he says this, he knows that this might be the deal breaker. He knows that this might be it because it's him saying he can't go. And he's wiped out. Everyone's wiped out. Feet. You want a foot transplant after your second day on a trip to New York City. He's like, I don't, I I can't do it tomorrow. Uh, Probably gave him some kind of knowing look. Well, Well, who can say whether there'll be time after this? Yeah. And he wants some kind of consolation. He's tired. He's talking. He's like, well, maybe on the last day we can go. Do so you think? Has like this glimmer of hope in his voice. But it's almost resignation. Like he's almost worked himself around to admitting that he's not going to go to donut plant. A donut plant. Like the, the name was just grating and galling to me. Like a plant. Like a, like a Ford plant. Like an automotive plant that produces donuts off of a conveyor belt gross got a crispy cream back where we come from how can this possibly be all that different from donut plant it's not french or anything <laughs> it's not american restaurant so rusty sleeps in the next morning i sleep in the next morning and then we've only got one day left so go next day Go see the site, see a few more things. That night, last night in the city, tomorrow we're going to get up, we're going to go to breakfast, we're going to get our stuff, and we're going to go back home. And that night, Rusty says, okay, so can can we do it tomorrow? Is there a chance? Now, by this point, I had already made plans for breakfast on the last day. I thought Rusty had given up. Part of me thought he had given up. And there was this French breakfast spot that I really wanted to go to. And I had persuaded like three or four other students to get up really early with me and go on this long walk to find this French cafe. So I'm going to get up at, I don't know, 530 in the morning and go on this epic trip get breakfast at this french spot but i had given him my word and so i said all right rusty here's the deal tomorrow morning last morning here but i'll tell you what if you are in the lobby no later than seven o'clock we will go if you're a minute later than seven o'clock into the lobby we're not going it's too late and he's like all right i'll be there so next morning Last morning in New York. Get up very early. and I, We go out looking for this French bun. And it ends up being way further away than we thought. And I think one of the students may have had a smartphone with a map program on it. But I can't be for sure. We're just kind of aimlessly wandering around because we've heard I mean I, I'm miserable at following a map so I like look it up on MapQuest on my computer and like try to figure out how to get there write down some instructions that's not working so it takes us forever to find this place and it ends up being a mile and a half from our hotel it's so about like six we've had our breakfast and I think well really far from the hotel but i've given this kid my word and i'm gonna feel really terrible if he's in the lobby at seven o'clock and i'm not there part of me doubts that he's going to be in the lobby though and so i don't have a cell phone but some of the guys that i go out for breakfast do and i tell them why don't you call rusty's number and see if he picks up And until he picks up, I guess we're just going to run back to the hotel. So I'm wearing wearing a pair of leather dress shoes. And I'm running with these three other guys through Manhattan trying to get back to this hotel by 7 o'clock. And all the way, like every time we hit a stoplight and we have to pause, I have these other guys call Rusty's phone number to see if he's awake. Because if as soon as he picks up his phone, he's like, oh, I can't do it, which is a possibility because he's that kind of guy. It might be that his love of sleep overpowered his love of the idea of getting donuts from Donut Plant. And if I learned on the run back that Rusty wasn't going to be up, then we could just walk. No need to run. My feet are killing me. But Rusty keeps not picking up his phone. And so we keep running block after block after block to get to the hotel. We get back to the hotel at 6.58. And by this point, there is this energy where everyone else is aware of Rusty's desire to go to Donut Plant. They're all kind of rooting for him. I think that there was like a half a dozen other people in the lobby that just wanted to see whether he was going to make it or not. 6.58, he's not in the lobby. And I'm out of breath, and I'm looking at the other guys who had run all this way with me. I'm like, he's not going to be here. He's asleep in his bed right now. Doesn't have the willpower to get up. But at 7 o'clock, he bursts through the stairwell door into the lobby. He cut it so close. He was waiting for the elevator. Realized that the elevator was going to make him late. So he ran, I forget how many floors, eight or nine floors, probably. Maybe not that far. And he bursts through the door and he's he's out of breath. And he's like, Mr. Gibbs, did I make it? I was like, you made it. Let's go. And there's kind of this, I don't want to say it was a cheer that burst out from everyone would probably be a bit much. But everyone wants to know what this thing is like. If you hyped anything for that long, that tenaciously, everybody would want to see what it was. So we start walking. And the place is like five blocks away. Rusty is very excited. I'm very skeptical. I'm the token adult going on for a boy's adventure. And as we get close enough that we can see the place on the street at street level where the address would be if Donut Plant is open, I can see all these bars over the window and I'm like, it's going to be closed. And if it's closed, part of me is going to be satisfied that we came so many hundred miles to see so much beautiful art and you can only care about donuts. As we get closer, the lights are on, there's people inside. And we walk through the front door, and we are in Donut Plant. Now the second I walked in this store, I realized that I had it all wrong. Donut Plant had, in my mind, communicated to me low-culture food, like White Castle Donuts. I was entirely wrong. The donuts at Donut Plant were outrageously expensive. (laughs) I look over the menu. I am probably visibly shocked by how wrong I was about this place. Rusty is, I'm not going to say he's beside himself, like jumping up and down. He's more like sublimated that we actually made it. Like mouth agape, surveying it with a craned neck. Here we are. I ordered one thing. I ordered the creme brulee donut. Which was only slightly larger than a golf ball. And it was like four and a half dollars for two bites. But it was beautiful. Like it was this beautiful little pastry. I couldn't believe it. I think that Rusty ordered like six donuts to eat. All the other guys get something. And we sit down. I think I say a prayer for the food. Then we all take a bite, and I bite into this perfect pastry, where the top has been broiled. And there's a crispy, thin, there's like this paper-thin layer of crusted sugar on the top. And as soon as I'm inside this donut, it's the most luscious vanilla cream and all the students look at me and i say to rusty you're right it's the best part of the trip